This is a Liberty Baptist Church sermon podcast. LBC is pastored by Jordan Zeke and exists to reach the lost, disciple the saved, and send the call. For more information on our church, please check out our website at lbcspokane.com. We hope that you are encouraged by today's sermon and that it draws you closer to God. We're going to continue on in our um, in our study of our Constitution and our beliefs and the things that we believe, talking about liberty. What do we believe and why do we believe it? Why is it that way rather than some other way? So uh, these the last couple of weeks we've been talking about um, the Bible and we talked about the scriptures, it being um, inerrant as well as it being preserved throughout time. And then last week we talked about the Trinity and just kind of gave a, a brief overview of the different roles that uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have. And uh, so today we are now jumping into a three-week lesson series on Christ being the incarnate as well as his job and what does it mean for the end times and what does it mean for where where is he now? What's he doing now? And so um, today we get to talk about lesson number four, Christ the incarnate. So Christ being the incarnate. So here is what our Constitution has to say about the work of Christ. This is split up into three sections, so we're only focused on section one today. If you were to look at the Constitution and our beliefs, this is section one of three, and we'll hit the other two in the next two weeks. But uh, it says, We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man without ceasing to be God, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a Virgin Mary in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful men. So, saying that we believe that Christ came down and was born of a virgin because of the Holy Spirit so that he could reveal God to us and redeem us of sin. And so next week we'll talk about, you know, what does it look like to be redeemed of sin? But today... I want to talk about him taking on flesh, becoming the incarnate. So what's the definition of incarnation? What does it mean to be Christ incarnate? Well, that simply means enfleshment or to take on human flesh or to take on human nature. So to be Christ incarnate or God incarnate means God in the flesh, God in human flesh, in human nature, not just simply just God down here and in his in his whole being, which we have seen in in different times with uh, Moses and a couple different other times in the Old Testament where he did come down, but this is God in the flesh being the incarnate. So what's the theological concept of that? What does it mean for Christ to have come down? Well, to be the incarnate simply means it's the uh, the gracious voluntary act of the Son of God in assuming a human body and human nature. The Christian doctrine of the incarnation is that the Lord Jesus is one person with two natures united, the one nature being that he's the eternal Son of God and the other that of a man in all respects human, yet without sin. So that means that even though we believe that God or Christ is fully God, We also believe that he's fully man. It's the gracious, voluntary act. He was not forced to do this. This was not something that that God made him do. It was something that he wanted to do. He voluntarily came to earth, 
And so it's the voluntary act of the Son of God assuming a human body and human nature. That is what it means for Christ to be here. So what does that look like as far as the changes in his position or his state? Like, because clearly, God coming down and being a human, that, that takes on some implications. Because if it, if it didn't have any implications, then that would mean that we could be God, that we could end up becoming like God. And that's just not so. And so what is, what's the different changes in his position? Well, simply, one, uh, we'll talk about a couple of them, five specifically, but this one I want to talk about is it's a change in his dwelling place. So from the presence of his father to the presence of man. John 6, 51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So there was a change in not only, there was a change in simply where he was located. He was up in heaven. He was up, he was with God. He was there at the beginning. We know that because of John 1, 1 is, um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God, Christ being the word. So we know that he, he was with God and he was there at the beginning. He's been in heaven all the way up to this point. But then we see in John 6, 51 is saying, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. His presence was with God in heaven, and now he's on earth with us. He's in the presence of man. So that is a change in his dwelling place. Next, he had a change in his possessions. That's from glory to rags. That's from, from going to having all everything that he wants to being made as a servant in human flesh and not having everything. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For ye know the grace of God our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Saying that Christ had riches, he had all of this stuff in heaven. However, he made himself a human, made himself a fl in flesh for our sake. For simply... Not so that way, again, not because he was forced to, not because it, it's anything other than he wanted to be here to redeem us. Luke 9.58 says, And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Meaning that throughout his whole life, he was not, I mean, the, the Jewish people expected Christ to come and to take over the kingdom, to just be king, to take over the empire, to rule in a way that they thought he would. However, he came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve. He came not to have those possessions, not to get the riches, but to simply serve mankind in what he was going to do and in his death. And so he had a, a change in his dwelling place coming from heaven to earth, but he had a change in his possessions, having everything to nothing. He was, he was born of, of Mary and Joseph who couldn't even find a place to sleep when he was born. This is a, this is a couple that, that's not super well off, that's not super wealthy. I mean, yes, they had jobs, yes, they could take care of each other and they could take care of things, but he wasn't born into royalty, he wasn't born into, into this huge power. It was simply he was in glory, and he came down to rags. The next thing that he changed is he had a change in his reputation. So from, again, glory to obscurity, people thinking that he is almighty, he's God, he's, you know, we have this big view of God because he's a big God, but they had this view 
And then for him to come and be a man, that kind of wipes the view away in a way, in a sense. I mean, because again, if we think, look at the Old Testament, we see, you know, there's all these instances of God coming down or angels coming down. And it's, hey, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. This is God here. God covering Moses' eyes, doing all these different things. And so we think of God as this big, glorious thing, which he is. But then for Christ to come down in human flesh, being 100% the same way as you and I, except without sin, is obscurity. That's something that is not thought of, something that's that's un, unknown, because it's not something that we would think God would ever do. John 17, 5 says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He's saying, please give, give this to me, which, which I previously had when we made the world, when we were there, when we had this glory. But he doesn't have that as much anymore. Now, it's again, it's not to say that he's not God in the flesh because he's 100% God, 100% man. But it's simply that people only look at the 100% man part. John 1, 10 through 11 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So he made these, he made all these people, he helped make it, he helped make creation, yet he was not accepted the way he should be. Because again, if God comes down and it's it's God in his in his ultimate form and God, you can't even look at him. You can't even be in his presence. This is this is an amazing thing that we see in the Old Testament, but then for him to come down in flesh, it makes people see see him in a whole different light. And so he was in the world, the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. So he changed his dwelling place from heaven to earth. He changed his possessions from having everything in glory to rags, but he changed his reputation among men, being again from glory to obscurity, from having everything to being thought of as nothing by everybody. But not only that, but he changed his position. Because he had to change his 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 dwelling place, his possessions, his reputation, this changed his position from equality to get with God to servanthood. Matthew 20, 26 through 28 says, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be your chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. He changed his position from being, again, on, on level where he should be, with, with godhood, with ultimate authority, to simply being as man and serving others. That's why, that's why we think of him as so great, because that's what he did. He came down and made himself of no reputation for our sake. For simply the reason being that we are sinners and that we needed him to do it that we couldn't get to heaven our own way, that there, we couldn't get to the Father except through Christ. And so he made his position from up in heaven, having everything, having ultimate power, to becoming man, and to simply being as one of us. Which brings us to the last thing that he changed, which is his form. From the form of God to the likeness of man. Philippians 2, 6-7 through 7 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant 
and he was in the likeness of man. Christ, being the incarnate, changing his positions, all these different roles and all these different states, is simply, again, to do this simple fact, to voluntarily act, or it's the voluntary act of assuming the human body and human nature for our sake. That's what Christ did. That's why he changed these positions. That's why he did all these things. To be incarnate is to be fully man. But again, we talked we talked last week about it not only being fully man, but also being fully God. That's, that's the idea of kenosis. That's not taking away the ability to be fully God, because he is fully God, but it's the voluntary act of not using all of that power being 100% God. It's one of those things that, that, again, we can think on it all we want. We can ch- keep sitting and trying to, to process it in our own minds, but realistically, we aren't going to be able to because this is something that, again, our feeble minds can't think of having ultimate power, ultimate authority, being omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and still being that when we are right now, but not using it because that's what it was, is that he he he... Is kenosis is an emptying of self, but that's not making it so he's not God. It's simply that he's not using that. And so he had a change in his positions, in his state, in the things that he had. But I have a couple notes concerning these changes. There's there's some things that we need to make sure that we, we keep straight, because if we just read that there's all these changes, then we, we could see it as simply he became man, and that was it. He was man, and then he's, you know, he wasn't fully God. But all of these, except for the change in his form in being in the likeness of man, was temporary. Him changing his location, him changing his his states, changing his possessions, his position, his reputation, all of those were temporary. Because he came from heaven down to earth, but then he went back up into heaven. He was in glory, came down to rags, but now he's back up in glory. He he came, he was ultimate God, came down, his reputation was a servant, but now we think of him back as God. It's all of these different changes, these states that we think were kind of, you know, would make him less God was not so. It made him being God. And so all of these were temporary. Not only that, but Jesus has returned to his dwelling place with the Father. We see that in, in John 17, 11, it says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. He reclaimed, or, yeah, Christ returned to the dwelling place with his Father. When, when the Mount of Transfiguration, when he went back up after he had died, risen again, and was talking to his disciples, then he was that's what the Mount of Transfiguration is, is he went back up into heaven. And so he is now sitting at the right hand of God. Not only that, but Jesus has reclaimed the riches of fellowship with the Father. John 16.10 says, Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Again, this is Christ talking, saying, You're not going to see me anymore because I'm going up to my Father. I'm going up. I was with you guys. I was hanging out. We were we were doing all these I was doing all these miracles and I was exactly as you guys are but also being fully one with my father. But now I'm going back up with him. I'm going back up to be in that fellowship. Jesus has been exalted to a place of glory at this point. 
John 17, 5, it says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me and thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Exactly the same verse that we had read is he is now, since the transfiguration, he's back in glory. He's back in that ultimate power, in that, in that responsibility of being at the right hand of God. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of the things of heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's been now exalted into that place of glory. When he was on earth, he made himself of no reputation. People didn't think of him as this ultimate being, this ultimate authority, but now everybody knows who he is. Now everybody realizes he's the Son of God. And so he's been exalted back into that place of glory. Jesus is also, again, occupying the place of rulership over creation. Colossians 1.15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Christ is still, we are made, like we had talked about, um, I don't even know when we talked about it, but we talked about man being in the likeness of God. It's because that's how we're supposed to be. We're made in the likeness of God, and, and Christ was made in the likeness of man, and now is in glory, meaning that we are of the same likeness of Christ. Not only that, but Jesus still exists in the form of man and will abide in that glorified flesh throughout eternity. There's lots of verses here that, that I could read, but I'm not going to read all of them. I'm only going to read a couple for you. But ultimately, all of these verses and others are saying that Christ is going to be in the likeness of man for all eternity. That he is as he was on earth. Revelation 1, 17 through 18 says, and, now, er, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and, laid his right, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Revelation 5, 6 says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it, was, as it had been slayed, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. Revelation twenty two sixteen says, And I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. Jesus is claiming that that he is still the same as he was on earth. He is still of the lineage and the right and the right um, and the right authority of David, meaning mankind to be the ruler. But not only that, he's now in in his divine essence, and everything about him is now back to the way that it was before he came to earth, except for the likeness of man. He remained there, so that way we could understand that and to realize that when the end of time comes. So we've talked about the, the different theological concepts, the definition of his being incarnation, as well as the changes in his position and his states being sent down to earth. But the last thing that I really want to look at today and is simply oh, let's get verses is simply the virgin birth, which is one of the most important parts about him simply being the incarnation of God. 
becoming flesh, there needed to be a couple extra steps because the point is, is that he had to be 100% man. He couldn't just come down himself and then appear because he needed to be made in flesh. He needed to be made in this likeness of man. I want to note that this has nothing to do with the origin of Christ or when he started, because we obviously know he was there at the beginning, but it only refers to the beginning of, human, of, of his human existence, of simply his incarnation. This is what we're talking about, not, not the very beginning of Christ, because we know that he was there at the beginning, and so this is just simply his human origins. So what's the significance of him being born of a virgin? Well, it's simply that it shows that ultimately salvation comes from God. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from from our own power, because if it was just a normal born human, then then it, it wouldn't show the power of God. But for God to, the Holy Spirit to come upon Mary and to make her a virgin, have this baby, was a, a miracle. It was something that ultimately showed God's power to understand that all of this power comes solely through him. Not only that, but it made possible the uniting of the full deity and the full humanity in one person. Again, with the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, and then that being the the full deity as well as the full humanity being Mary, creating one person. That is what Christ is. He is is 100% man and 100% God fully in the flesh. Some verses that, that, that support this is uh, Matthew 1, 20 through 23, which says, But while he sought on, or thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, this is the angel talking to Joseph, uh, Jesus' earthly father, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, and take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which has conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, and it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be, chi- or shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Not only that, but Luke one thirty four through 35 says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, saying, I know not a man? I've, I've not been with a man. I'm still a virgin. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This is not just man's efforts. This is not just Mary all of a sudden being pregnant without the power of God. This is the Holy Ghost coming upon her and her being able to conceive even though she has not known a man. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All these different verses and other ones talk simply about Christ coming to be born of a virgin so that he can fully fulfill prophecies, that he can fully fulfill his duties, that he can fully be of the Holy Spirit as well as of man. 
So the virgin birth is necessary to demonstrate the sinless nature of Christ. That's uh, John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh physically is also corrupted of the flesh morally. So if he was just born of the flesh, then he would have been sinning. Then he would have ultimately have had sin already. Because that's the curse of man, is that because of the original sin, because one man had sinned, sin has now gone to everybody. Sin has dripped down throughout all of eternity. But because Christ was not simply born of a man, he was born of the Holy Ghost and of Mary, then that means that he doesn't have that sinless nature. Because the Bible talks about sin coming from the Father, the sins of the Father, these, these things, and man inherently being, being sinful because of the Father. And so for him to be sinless, he could not be born of a human man, but could simply be born of a woman, that being Mary. Now, the last thing that I want to look at, and this one's kind of my favorite because it's, it's interesting to see and it's, it's, it's kind of cool, is that the virgin birth was necessary to, or for Jesus to function as Messiah, sitting on the throne, on David's throne. So to be considered in the line of David would mean that, that he's in the line of being king. And to be on in that line is important, because that's what the Old Testament said would happen. It said that he would be in the line of David, that he would, he would have the right, uh, the authority to take the throne, but he wouldn't. And so we see that in Matthew 1, 6 and 16, we see, um, I guess one, sorry, 6 through 16, we see, we see David's line through Joseph. We see that in verse 6, it says, And Jesse begat David and the king, and David the king begat Solomon, and her that had been with wife of Urias, and it kept going. And then verse 16 it says, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So Matthew 1, 6 through 16 goes through the lineage of Joseph, saying that he is of the line of David. And so from that, that perspective is that Christ could be on the throne simply from his earthly father. That's, his, that's, that's Joseph having that right authority to take the throne, being of the lineage of David. However, because we know that, we know that there was a curse on this line of David through a man by the name of uh, Jehoiakim. No. Where is it? Yeah. Jehoiakim. Am I saying that right? Jehoiakim? Thanks. Thanks, Brian. I'm not very good with names. I'm still, still learning them all. But we see that there was, there was a curse through the line of Jehoiakim because of the things that he did. This this curse made it so that none of the offspring of David would sit on David's throne. Even though they had the authority to take that throne, this curse made it so that they would not be able to. Jeremiah 36, 30 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king, king of Judah, he shall have none, or none sit upon the throne of David, and his body shall be cast out in the day of the heat and in the night of the frost. So it's saying that because of this one man, the line of David no longer will be able to sit on the throne. They have the authority, they're still of the line of David, but they're not going to. So if he was born of Joseph, then he wouldn't actually have that authority, wouldn't have that role. 
even though it's his, it's his earthly father, and he in a way has that authority, if he was born strictly of Joseph, then he wouldn't get that. However, we see in Luke 30, uh, or Luke 3, 31, uh, there's a whole bunch of verses before that about the line of Mary. And it goes into the line of Mary, and 31 says, which was the son of Melia, which was the son of Manon, which was the son of Matatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, meaning that from Mary all the way to David, she's also in that line, just through a different side. So we've got, we've got Joseph who's in the line of David, but we also have Mary who from one of David's other sons is also in the line of David. However, we know that because of man, because of the nature of how sin works with it coming from the father, if he was from Joseph, then he wouldn't be able to sit on the throne. He wouldn't be able to have that authority. He would still be a sinner because he would have been born of man. But because he was born of the Holy Spirit and Mary, then through her line, he still has the authority to sit on the throne. He's still of the line of David, but he's now without sin. So that's why I think it's really interesting because from either side, you can look at it saying he has the authority, but if it was from Joseph, then you'd also have to look at, oh, the sin nature of man comes from the father, comes from human nature because from one from. Uh, from one man, sin had come into the world, and uh, because of that, oh, man, I'm just, huh? Yeah, and death by sin. Thank you, Charlotte. I'm just blanking today. But because of Adam's sin, it then has flowed down through man. That's why we are still sinners, because we're born of a man. We're born of a, a, a male of that, of that fashion. However, Christ was not. He was born of the Holy Ghost with Mary, who people will say that Mary was also perfect, but she was not. She was a sinner. She was, she, was, she was a human just like you and I. Christ is the only one who was without sin, but because of both sides of the family, he has the authority. But because of Mary's side, he doesn't have the sin that comes along with it. Because he was born of a virgin, he doesn't have sin and can rightfully claim David's throne. So the legal right of David's throne passes through Solomon, which gets to Joseph, but the blood right of David's throne passes through Nathan and gets to Mary. And so the importance of Jesus being coming down to earth and being, being part of our world and being man is important because without that, we would not have the he would not have the ultimate authority to take away our sins. If he had not come to be 100% man, 100% God, and he was just a human, he wouldn't have that power. But because the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and he's now without sin from the Father, there's no sin from Joseph coming down, he can continue to be without sin for his entire life. Not only that, but then it continues to, to obey the prophecies that were in the Old Testament about him abiding in the line of David and being able to take the throne. So there's a whole lot of different things that come into it. I just touched the surface. There's a whole lot that we can continue to study if you wanted to and to be able to go a lot deeper into those things. But this is just simply me wanting to tell you that, hey, as a church, we believe, I'll read it one more time, that uh, we believe that the Lord Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man without ceasing to be God, 100% man, 100% God, 
having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful man. It's because he was Christ incarnate that he even had the authority to redeem us, which we'll talk about next week, of our sin. But he needed to be born of a virgin. He needed to have taken all these different new roles. He needed to have his positions change from living in heaven to having this glory, to being rags, to being a servant, to being in the likeness of man. That was all important. And our salvation could not be done without Christ having done that. And so as a church, we believe that Christ came down for the purpose of our salvation, but there were all these steps, this, this changing of the positions, changing of the, the, his being, and changing of the ways that he presented himself to us for our benefit. And so next week we'll talk about, again, we'll, we'll get into uh, the second two sections of Christ that are in our beliefs. They're on our website if you want to go in. There's um, the website, who we are, um, and then in that is our beliefs. And so if you are curious about that, you want to look ahead and just see, and you know, kind of do your own research. There's lots of verses that we have um, for the reasons why we have this as our statement, as well as every other statement. There's verses connected to that. So if you want to start doing your own research, I, I encourage you, do that. Don't just listen to what I have to say, but do it yourself. Figure out, figure out if what I'm actually saying is true. So I encourage you guys, keep coming back. We'll keep, we'll be in this, um, what we believe for quite a while, because I think it's important. It's important for us to know what we believe, why, why we believe it. And that way, if anybody asks, you know how to answer it. So, all right, we're going to pray and then we'll get ready for our next service. Dear Lord, thank you for today and just thank you for, again, this opportunity that we had uh, to be here um, in Sunday school and to be able to talk about what we believe and why we believe it. Help us to be able to remember that Christ incarnate, he came, he came down to be man, to be flesh for our sakes, and that through the Virgin Mary, he was able to, to be without sin and to be in the, of the lineage of David. And so help us to remember that and to, to continue to allow that to uh, just be in our minds and help us to continue to research that and to look into that, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.